Well, good morning. Welcome. Glad that you're here today to worship Christ and to be encouraged in the love of God. I hope we, we've been away. Our elders have this last few days for our annual retreat where we do a lot of planning for the coming year and uh, it's a very encouraging time. Thank you for your prayers. We're excited about what, what's coming in the coming year and we'll be updating you in that in the weeks and months that are ahead, but we appreciate your prayers. Today we're going to be in 1 John chapter 4, so if you have your Bibles, you can open to 1 John chapter 4. Um, that's where we'll be uh, today. I'd like to start with a question for you. What is your picture of God like? When you think of God, what's prominent? What do you think of? Here are some images from comedian Monica Parker's book, OMG, How Children See God. Uh, this little girl says God has giant ears so he can hear everything we are saying. That's what she thinks about God. Here's another one. Um, this little fellow says God must have really big hands since he holds the whole world in them. What do you, how do you picture God? Like if, if we were playing this word association game, right, and God came up, what pops into your mind? What do you think of? Um, Trevor Hudson quotes author Dallas Willard. He says, Dallas Willard has pointed out that we live at the mercy of our ideas. So we would be wise to reflect carefully on those ideas that we have about God. Malcolm Temple was an Anglican uh, minister and he provocatively observed that if people, with a wrong, if people live with a wrong view of God, and the more religious they become, the worse the consequences will be. He says, eventually, it would be better for them to be atheists. That's how important, he says, thinking rightly about God is. And in 1 John chapter 4, John is pressing us when we think about God, to think about love. That's, that's the association that he's pushing us towards in 1 John 4. And I know for many of you who are suffering, um, this can be a really hard association. Um, but today I think John wants to help you welcome and love this truth that your God is love. So let's pray just for a moment and we'll look at 1 John 4 together. Pray with me, please. Lord, have mercy on us today. Give us ears to truly hear this, this best of news about who you are. Give us faith to apprehend it, to believe it, and to, to walk it out as the truth that it is. So help us now, Lord, by your word and your spirit, we pray. Amen. First so John 4, starting in verse 7. It starts with a really familiar refrain if you've been studying 1 John, the letter to 1 John. What is Beloved, let us love one another. Okay. This is not the first time that he said this. In just the last chapter of 1 John, we hear this. Verse 11, this is the message that you have heard from the beginning that we should love one another. Skip down a couple of verses to verse 16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives in love for the brothers. Skip a couple more verses. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but let us love in deed and truth. 
A couple more verses. He says it again. This is his commandment. That we believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ. And love one another. Just as he commanded us. And this is not the last time John's going to say it. In verse 7. He's going to say it. We'll, we'll hear it in just a couple more verses. John is saying we really ought to love one another. And today he's going to give us some really beautiful reasons why. But first, it's important to keep in mind um, what John is accomplishing with this call to love. He's trying to do a number of things. First of all, he is exposing false teachers who did not practice love. That's part of what he's doing with this call to love. He's exposing false teachers. And it, I'd like to stop this morning and just reflect on something. Um, have you bought into the false teaching that it's okay not to love someone? Do you ever think it's okay not to love someone? Maybe, maybe when someone is odd, okay, I'm being kind, they're slap weird. Is it okay not to love them? Is that okay? What if they are annoying? What if, what if they fail you or disappoint you? Is it okay not to love them then? What if someone wrongs you? Is it okay not to love them? John is exposing that false teaching. And, and in the process, he can expose it in our hearts as well. He's also reassuring their faith and ours. His intent is to bolster this little church's faith, that their faith is real, it is genuine, and the fact that they do love one another is evidence of that. And he's also calling the church, he's calling you and me to do that, to excel in that all the more. He's calling us into the way of love, the way of Jesus. Um, this little church is already loving each other. He's calling them to, to love all the more. So to do that, um, he's going to give three beautiful reasons for loving each other. But before we look at those, let's just be really, really clear. North Wake must be a place where people are loved. Okay? It must be. This is the will of God for us. Anything less dishonors Christ. Okay? We must give ourselves to loving each other. And like I said, he's going to unfold three really beautiful reasons. Let's look at them together. Verse, that same verse, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So he says, we love each other because God is the source of love. All love flows from him, and when it flows into our lives, it unstoppably is to flow into the lives of others. Okay. He's, he's been... As you've heard, he's saying this over and over to us. Let me, let me give you a visual way to think about it. If this picture is your life, and this picture is the love of God, this is what John's talking about. That it pours into your life and just overflows and kind of gets everywhere. <laughs> but that's the point right? It kind of gets everywhere. Anyone in proximity to you ought to be loved by you because the love of God has been so poured into you that you can't hold it, okay? Um, 
The love of God is so satisfying that it spills over from us into the lives of those around us. We love one another because God pours love into us. He's the source of love, John is saying. But he's saying more than that. It's not just that he's the source of love. He says he is love. Love is the essence of who God is. Look at at verse verse 8. He says, anyone who does not love doesn't know God because... God is love. Um, John Piper unfolds that this way. He says, John means that love is from God the way heat is from fire or the way light is from the sun. Love belonged to God's nature. It's woven into what he is. It's part of what it means to be God. The sun gives light because it's light. The fire gives heat because it is heat. God loves because he's love. And we are to love, John says, because God is the source of love, because he is love, and he has loved us first, he's going to say. He's, God started this love. There's, a, there's an ancient hymn. It could be as old as the fourth century or older. And it's, uh, it comes to us in Latin. The title is Ubi Caritas. Um, I'm going to give you the English translation today because your Latin's probably as bad as mine, so... It captures this idea. It says, where, where charity and love are, God is there. Christ's love has gathered us into one. Let us rejoice and be pleased in him. Let us fear and let us love the living God. And may we love each other with a sincere heart. Where charity and love are, God is there. As we are gathered into one body Beware lest we be divided in mind. Let evil impulses stop. Let controversy cease. And may Christ our God be in our midst. Where charity and love are, God is there. And may we, may we with the saints also see thy face in glory, O Christ our God. The joy that is immense and good unto the ages through infinite ages. Amen. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. God is love. That's that's his nature. Professor Constantine Campbell writes, love therefore characterizes all of God's activities. God's creating, ruling, judging, revealing, instructing, blessing, disciplining, giving, rebuking, sustaining, recreating are all done in love. There's nothing God does that does not emanate from his loving nature. And so when we hear that, um, sometimes that brings to mind what, what I call the but what abouts. So if God, is, if God is love, what about suffering? What, what about evil? What about, what about the wrath of God? What about hell? Um, how can we trust God to be loved towards us when all those kinds of things exist? And they, and they do. They all, those things all exist. So, again, Professor Campbell takes a shot at that. He says, yes, God does dispense wrath and judgment, but it's important to acknowledge that this is his alien task. It's language that comes from Isaiah chapter 28. Judgment does not define him at the core. It does not reveal his central identity. His central identity is love. 
And only by knowing his love can God himself be understood and known. Since love is so central to who God is, true knowledge of God simply must understand him as love. If he's not known as love, he's not known at all. And John is helping us with that here. He's going to help us now with our but whatabouts from a little bit of a different angle as he looks at the second motivation for loving each other in verse 9. He says, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. So this, John is saying, is the greatest, weightiest evidence of the love of God. Look here, he's saying, when you doubt the love of God, look at Jesus. This is how we know God is love. He sent his son to give us life. The sending of his son into the world. Um, Christina Rossetti had it right when she wrote these words about Jesus coming into our world. Uh, we sing them at Christmas. I'm quoting them in August as a kudo to Daniel Creswell, who loves Christmas, loves those things. Love came down at Christmas. That's what Christmas is. It's the coming of love into the world. Love, all lovely love divine. Love was born at Christmas. Star and angels gave the sign. Worship we the Godhead. Love incarnate. Love divine. Worship we our Jesus, but wherewith for sacred sign. And then she says, love shall be our token. Love be yours. Love be mine. Love to God and all men. Love for plea and gift and sign. This is the love of God displayed, manifest among us. This is how we know God is love. I'm I'm helped by these thoughts from Trevor Hudson. He says, the dying Jesus takes us deeply into the sacred mystery of God's passionate heart. Take some time to fix your eyes on this broken man nailed to the tree. Remember that he is the image of the invisible God, the one in whom God was pleased to dwell. The tortured, ravaged figure strips our talk about God's love of its empty cliches and familiar sentimentality. As we stand at the foot of the cross, we catch a glimpse of how God, in Christ, absorbs the very worst we can do, bears it sacrificially in his own body, and then responds with life-giving forgiveness. The welcome home scene of the wayward son is not too good to be true. It's as real as broken flesh and pierced side. God is love. In the next verse, John says it again from a different angle. God is love and he displays it in the coming of his son. Verse 10 says, in this is love. Not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The one who paid for our sins, made atonement for our sins, who stayed the wrath of God that was upon us because of our sins. But you see it here. God loved first. God took the initiative. And this is, this is all over the scriptures. Romans 5 says it beautifully. While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God initiated love. 
John says it explicitly, we love because he first loved us. It all starts with God, not us. God initiated love when he sent Jesus into our world and onto the cross to bear the just punishment for our sins, even the wrath of God. So John is saying to us, when you doubt the love of God, look here. Look at Christ. Look at Jesus when you wrestle with evil and suffering and wrath and hell. Archbishop Michael Ramsey puts it this way, God is Christ-like and in him is no unchrist-likeness at all. This is how we know God's love and that God is love. In a word, Jesus is how we know. That's why at the close of our service today, we'll come to this table to remember and celebrate the coming of the love of God in the person of Jesus. His giving of his life on our behalf. We have been bought And John is telling us this over and over and over. The love of God came into the world to rescue us. He's looking at it from all kinds of different angles here. He says it like three times. Verse 9. Why was Jesus sent into the world? God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Verse 11. Why was Jesus sent into the world? God sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. If you drop down to verse 14, we'll look at why did, this, why did the Son come into the world? The Father sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Um, this is the love of God on display. Okay. We have been loved. We have been bought by the loving, good work of Jesus, sent in love by His Father. Trevor Hudson says it again beautifully. This is the very essence of who the Holy One is extravagantly, sacrificially, passionately loving. And since this is his essential nature, this is what God is always doing. He is always loving you and me. And so once again, what does John say to us? Verse 11, beloved, if God so loved us, we really ought to love one another, don't you think? So John brackets this beautiful teaching about the love of God with this recurring instruction. We really should love one another. One writer put it this way. Love is our family likeness. So, are you more loving than you were a year ago? Let me cut you some slack. How about two years ago? Five years ago, are you more loving than you were five years ago? Um, Think of it this way. If it was illegal to be someone who followed Jesus and loved God's people, would anyone accuse you of that crime? Would anyone accuse you of being a lover of God's people? Professor Constantine Campbell says, to know God is to know love, and to know love is to show love. Without showing love, there is no knowing love, and there is no knowing God. Now John's going to give us another, a third reason why why we are to love. It's in verse 12. He puts it real interestingly. He says, no one has ever seen God. 
But if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. The idea seems to be that the invisible God can be seen when we love. We put him on display. Um, One writer says, the invisibility of God raises the question of whether God can truly be known. But God can be known. Though he cannot be seen, he can be known by love. So we bring the love of God, we bring God to one another when we love each other, especially to those who are suffering. When we are wondering where God is, when our marriage is unraveling, when the cancer comes back, when we've lost our job, when we are loved by the body of Christ, God is being brought to us through that love. We bring God to each other when we need it most by our love. And you've, you've experienced that if you've been in the church for any length of time. When you've gone through a hard time, people have reached out to you and loved you. And it's encouraged your faith. Um, but not just to one another in this room is God made known through love. Those who are watching from outside see it too. Uh, Christopher Ash puts an interesting spin on it. He says, some years ago, there was a dispute in Britain between the Foreign Office and the Treasury. The argument was about which British ambassadors would be provided with a Rolls Royce for their official duties in a foreign capital. The Treasury, unsurprisingly, wanted these wonderful and expensive cars restricted to a few few ambassadors, perhaps Washington and Moscow and Paris. The Foreign Office argued for many more Rolls Royces for ambassadors based on this reasoning. Most people in a foreign capital have never been to Britain, they said. But when they see this magnificent car gliding through their streets with the United Kingdom flag on the hood, they will say to themselves, I have not been to Britain. I don't know much about Britain. But if they make cars like that there, then Britain must be a wonderful place, right? Um, And then he does something interesting. He applies it to the way we love one another, especially he's applying it to our marriages. This is interesting. He says, in a similar way, it is Christ's hope that men and women may say to themselves as they watch a Christian marriage, I've never seen God. And sometimes I wonder when I look at the world if God is good or if there even is a God. But if he can make a man and a woman love one another like this, um, he must be a good God. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. So this verse um, presses us outward, right? So that it doesn't turn into just a big old group hug. Right, um, We make God visible to those who are watching on the outside when we love one another. So, how would you feel about offering this wager to your neighbor? You say to your neighbor, look, if you'll come to church with me and you don't see the love of God on display there, I won't bother you again. How would you feel about that? I think we might have some work to do. But it raises the question, so why do you come to church? 
Why do you come to church? Um, kids like it. Music is awesome. You want to keep up on the latest fashion trends. What color sweater vest is in this season? You know, stuff like that. Um, why do you come to church? There are a lot of good reasons to come to church, really, seriously. Sitting under the teaching of God's word, uh, praying with God's people, worshiping, serving. Um, you ever come to church to love? Do you ever come to church thinking, I am going to love the socks off somebody today? And you walk in that door and you're just looking for somebody that you can encourage, love, pray with, hug, get coffee for, something. You, you're, look, you're here to put the love of God on display. So that when somebody walks in those doors out there, they see it. They taste it. It's the love of God. Do you ever come to church for that reason? I'm afraid it kind of turns it all on, on its head for us. See, how we love one another makes God real and visible. It can happen in here. It's even more beautiful when it happens outside of this room, right? When, when people catch us loving each other out there. Um, so this summer, you know, we had this big shindig, right? At, at, in my family, this big wedding. And my daughter, Abby, my youngest daughter, got married and she wanted to have a wedding in the mountains. So we had a wedding in the mountains. We found a farm that they'd slapped a wedding venue sign on and jacked the price way up. And we said, that's where we're going to have this wedding. <laughs> <clears throat> if you've got some property, you want to pay it off, wedding venue sign will really come in handy. So we did that. And, you know, my dear friends from the church traveled out there with us. And they, they helped us transform this place into a wedding worthy venue and we had lights and we had food and we danced and we threw flower petals around and we generally made a mess of the place and then it was our responsibility to clean it up and I had friends who were invited guests to this wedding stay a, 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 not just one a handfuls of friends stayed after and we, we completely cleaned this place up in probably an hour or two just restored it to the beautiful farm that it once was and um, the owner was sitting there, and he, he says to me, he says, are you church people? And I said, yeah, we are. He said, yeah, I could tell by the way that the people stayed and served. He says, usually it's just one old lady who gets stuck cleaning everything up, but you had all these people, so I figured you were church people. And do you see what, what's happening? He's seeing the love of God poured out by the church on my family. And he's making the connection, right? These must be Jesus' people because of how they love. See, no one has seen God. But when, when we love, he abides in us. And people see. Um, we really should love one another, shouldn't we? Because we make the invisible God known when we do. Um, and he, he changes gears now in verse 13 a little bit. And he says, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And the spirit assures us of our standing here in Christ in a couple of different ways. He, he looks back at the love that we have. And 
Love is a fruit of the Spirit of God, right? There's a list of fruit of the Spirit in the New Testament. You know what the first one is? The fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. It's the very first one. So he's connecting the, the, love, of, the love of one another with the work of the Spirit, and he's also pulling us into what he says next, and that is that the Spirit gives us faith in Jesus. This is why um, Professor Dale Bruner likes to call the Holy Spirit the shy member of the Trinity, because he's all about pointing people to Jesus. The Spirit wants people to know Jesus. He wants to exalt Jesus. He's all about Jesus. And this is the ministry of the Spirit that John turns to now in verse 14 when he says, and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world, and whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God abides in him, and he in God. So he's saying, we have seen, we is like John and his uh, apostle buddies, they're eyewitnesses of Jesus. They have seen and they testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. He follows his remarks about the Spirit being given to us with his own Spirit-given testimony as an eyewitness. And then he says, whoever makes this same Spirit-given confession that Jesus is the Son of God the Father, and if you picked up on it there, you see the whole Trinity involved in this right there. The Spirit enables us to confess that God the Father has a Son named Jesus whom he sent into the world in love. And when we make that confession, we have assurance that we have the same vital communion with God. We abide in God. And John summarizes all this for us in the last verse we'll look at today. He says, so we have come to know and to believe. Some people will render that to rely on the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in So for all these reasons, John says, we know and we rely on the love God has for us. God is love, he says, for the second time in these love-dense verses. And, And because we love and confess Jesus, both by the good work of the Spirit, we are assured of our life in God. So he says, we really ought to love one another. And as we come to the table now at the close of our service, that's that's why we come. To remember that God is love. To remember that he's shown us love. The great demonstration of his love is in the sending of his son um, to give us life. John says it this way in verses 9 and 10. He says, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God. But he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. And so this table, it's for people who, who, as he says, we, we, we believe in Jesus. We believe Jesus to be all the things that 1 John says Jesus is. Uh, It says that when the in the Son the Father sends Jesus, and Jesus is the word of life. 
He brings eternal life. He cleanses us from all sin. He is an advocate. He absorbs the wrath of God for us. He gives us an example to follow. He's the Messiah. He brings a new birth. He is righteous and sinless. He takes away our sin. He destroys the work of the devil. He is God's son who gives us life. He's the savior of the world. And we come to this table remembering how much, how much he loves us. How very, very much he loves us. So, on the night on which he was betrayed, Jesus took bread, and with his disciples he said, this is my body, it's broken for you, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the meal, he took the cup and he said, this is my blood, blood of my covenant, it's poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. And if you'll bow with me in prayer, I'd, I'd like to, to read an old prayer of love from the 1800s by a man named Edward Pusey. Well, let's make it our prayer this morning. Good Jesus, fountain of love, fill us with thy love, absorb us into thy love, compass us with thy love, that we may see all things in the light of thy love. Receive all things as the token of thy love. Speak of all things in words breathing of thy love. Win through thy love others for thy love. Be kindled day by day with a new glow of thy love. Until we be fitted to enter into thine everlasting love. To adore thy love and love to adore thee, our God and all. Even so, come Lord Jesus. This we pray.